good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Lovely to be here with you, and thank you so much for your patience uh, and waiting. And other members of the cast will will join us as we go along here. I have to put down this water first of all. Uh, it's great actually having a, a microphone on the Abbey stage, but it wouldn't be Gavin Quinn if there wasn't some sort of microphone somewhere or some sort of technology involved. Andrew, obviously you, you've just finished playing the part of um, Peter, uh, of Nick Bottom, rather, in, in Midsummer Night's Dream. You have done a lot of plays with Gavin Quinn, who's the director tonight, and you've done a few Shakespeare's with him. Just talk about, you've certainly done the Lear. The I would, it, it, How would you define, first of all, what that Lear, uh, Andrew was involved in the production of Lear a couple of, is it two years ago, two festivals uh, ago Yeah, now? I'd say about two or three years ago, yeah. Because it gives us a sense of the way Gavin Quinn approaches Shakespeare. Well, yeah, he, um, this was very straight for Ga by Gavin's standards. So that um, was a straight, straight yeah. interpretation you just saw. The, the Lear we did was called Everyone is King Lear in His Own Home and they reproduced my flat. Gavin came to me and he said, whenever he does a Shakespeare, he, he wants it to be about something. So his Scottish play was about insomnia. This was about old age. Uh, the Lear was about the meaninglessness of middle-aged, middle-class Western men. And he said I was the most meaningless, middle-class, middle-aged Western man he'd ever met. <laughs> and so he reproduced my flat exactly on stage. And I came on and wore nappies and did yoga, and a young woman came on and was my nurse or something. And that literally was the show. So you were, you were treated to, you know... Yeah, a very straight traditional. <laughs> this was traditional here tonight. Okay, let's uh, welcome another three members of the cast. Pather Lam, Anya Niwari, and Des Nalen. Oh, and Maureen Negronia. Sorry, I didn't see you coming on there. Maureen Negronia. Uh, all four of you, certainly, and, and more of the cast members are coming on now. Stella McCusker, John Olihan, Gina Moxley. And um, actually, Pather, if you, Pather, hold on to that microphone for a moment, if you wouldn't mind, because I want to ask Pather a question, first of all. You can, do, you can be stage manager for this bit. <laughs> Pather, I'm wondering what particular type of Stanislavski method did you use? <laughs> to find your inner Thisbe. Where did you find her? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> when, when, when Gavin Quinn said to you, I want you to be in this production of Midsummer Night's Dream, yeah. and I want you to play this part, what was your initial reaction? What did you know of Gavin and the way he approaches Shakespeare? Well, I'll tell you, is this going into this? It is. I actually, I, I knew nothing about Gavin. I had met Gavin for five minutes in our own house years ago, when he was in to see Geraldine, not me. And, uh, but uh, on this particular thing, what actually happened was, uh, you see, they left all the mechanicals open to all the people that had been named. You see, so they, they, weren't, they, they weren't told what, which one they were playing. Or so you just knew the, the mechanicals being the, yeah. the, very, the rude mechanicals for those who don't know the lot, people who are on the play. A lot of that were people who had been in the Abbey years ago. You see, and, and, and that's how the names came up. But in the course of me talking, you see, I think actually Gavin wanted me to play something else altogether. Don't say it, because no, that I person is probably... But however, it, that's initially, <laughs> anyway. But, so, and I said to him, by the way, I said, I remember, I said, doing a takeoff of Mary O'Hara, I said, in a pantomime in the Abbey about 25 years ago. And he caught on to that and he said, 
Yeah. And then he, he cornered me on it and he wouldn't let me out of it. <laughs> so then it was Francis Flute and Thisbe. That, that was it. it. There was yeah. no changing yeah, it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what actually happened. Yeah, yeah that sounds a bit yeah. like the way Gavin yeah. would, would approach it. Maybe if you <laughs> hand the microphone on to Anya there beside yeah. you, yeah. who has just finished playing Hermia. I hope I can say this and still maintain some modicum of gentlemanly behaviour. <laughs> but I guess you were surprised to hear the casting of Hermia. Were you, Anya? I certainly was. I, and I thought, I sent uh, uh, Gavin a text and I said to him, is this a mistake? <laughs> <laughs> because I just, just read the play and I thought, oh my God, he's really flipped it this time. <laughs> you, had, you had worked with Gavin previously as well. I had worked with him previously on um, A Dollhouse and um, in two Beckett plays, Embers and All That Fall. <laughs> yeah, so Gavin is not given to, you know, worrying about matters like how suitable you are in terms of age for the part. When you started reading Hermia then, did you say, oh, I'm going to play this person like a, a whatever age she would be, an 18 or a 19 year old? Or what, what was in your head no, as to how to approach once, once that part? He, once he came back to me, he, he, he sent me a text back and told me it was set in an old people's home. So I said, oh, great. I said, that's the excuse. I can be old and, you know, you'll just be accepted as you are. So. Okay, and I, actually, final members of the cast who have joined us now, Daniel Reardon, David Pearson, Shadan Fafeli, the good crowd. Thank you to all three of you for being here as well. I'll pass, if you'll pass the, the microphone on to, to Des Neal and then beside you. I'm wondering, Des, what particular nightclub did you go to <laughs> to uh, actually research the dance moves that you managed to find there? It's good, isn't it? It's perfect. Yeah, yes. Uh, no, well, you see, I'm married to a, a choreographer. And I've done a lot of stuff of that nature down the years. And I continue to do it by attending the gym on a daily basis. <laughs> so really, that's how it comes about, this astonishing power of my dance. Yeah. <laughs> and my physical uh, grace. Um, is that, does that involve ballet class on a daily basis, or is it only every second? Pardon, day? sorry, sorry, I'm deaf also. <laughs> Does it, does it involve well, ballet I am, class? I'm actually deaf. Go ahead. This, this, is, this is a good year. This is a good year. Well, tilt that one towards me. <laughs> does that involve ballet class on a daily basis, or is it just every second day that you do your dance classes? I do, uh, no, I do something of that nature daily, uh, something of an aerobic nature, which is also done by dance teachers and so forth. So there's always that going. So when I'm asked to do anything physical of that, like that, I, I think I'm quite capable of handling it well. I like to think I am. <laughs> yes, I'm, and so do they. I'm falling apart age-wise now. I'm not quite as old as Pather, but I'm approaching it. <laughs> and, Would you? Uh, I'm proud of myself for doing uh, that. And certainly so you should be after tonight's performance and the reaction to the dance is clearly very positive. <laughs> Will you pass the microphone on to, to Maura in the Cronje there? Maura, uh, you had played, because those of you who have a programme in front of you, you will see that there's a the cast list from a production from 1979, I do believe it was, Moira. And what part did you play in that particular production? In 1979, I was more capable. I played Hermia. Yes, so now how life has changed. <laughs> I am now mustard seed masquerading as a bumblebee. We never found out why, but I believe uh, Gavin, uh, Bruno, who did the costume, said that Gavin had a dream about a bumblebee. So that's... I have shared all my information now on that. <laughs> I, it, it struck me too, and I, I wondered about this, um, which will come up for other members of the cast as well. 
When Anya then was saying some of the lines of Hermia, is it too far gone in the distant past for any of those lines to suddenly ring a bell with you? Or what was no, your reaction? It's not, it's not. <laughs> never, to, never so weary, never so in woe, bedaveled in dew and covered with briars. I can no, no, no further crawl, no further go. My legs can't keep whatever it is with my desires anyway. <laughs> I do, I, I could prompt you occasionally, but you never needed it. So. So, so the lines are actually still in there somewhere? Some are, yeah, but I always wanted to play Puck. Did you? I've always wanted to play Puck and I was always refused. Thomas McConaughey said to me, you are not playing Puck. John Olin is playing Puck. You're not playing Puck. So this time I asked and I've still known that Dan Danny Reardon was definitely playing Puck. Actually, I think my Puck days are over, but I would love to have played Puck. Well, let's, let's, bring, let's bring the microphone over to Danny then, if we can bring that back. And we'll keep that. Stella, you hold on to the other one there because we'll come to you after this. Uh, hold it in your hand. Don't be passing it on. I'm coming to you next after that. So the part of Puck, because we can talk to John Olden about this as well, the part of Puck, uh, it, it's one of those ones that the traditional double that we saw there between Puck in the forest and Philistrate in the Athenian court, or as it is here, the, the care home, that is a, that's a, that's a, a traditional double. It's, it's constantly done that way. Yes. Um, what is the attraction of the part of Puck for you, would you say? Oh, well, it's just so joyful. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful thing to, to take part in. It's a, it's a dream. <laughs> um, and when Gavin spoke to me first about it, he, he said that, the, that Puck is the chaplain of the facility. So that, that appealed to me, yes, I liked that idea very much. And then he and Bruno started to uh, confer and concoct. And apart from bumblebees and, and lions and everything else that he put together, um, was this transformation into, um, who is it, Lou Reed? Yeah. Um, one of the Ramones, who is it? Somebody said could be a member of the Clash. A touch of the Bono with the glasses as well, I thought. Well, yeah, a bit more <laughs> contemporary, but it does. It did bring me back when I saw it to uh, to the Cafe Bazaar in 1967, West Third Street, and the Velvet Underground were in their heyday, and, and uh, so it brought back memories. Mm. And you, uh, a lot of people here may know or, and remember you as a. a a member of the RT repertory players, the, yes. the radio rep that was out there. Yes. Had you played much Shakespeare in that? I, in fact, I did Puck. Uh, I played Puck to um, Daphne Carroll's Titania, Daphne Carroll, whose life we celebrated just about a fortnight ago at her, at her, um, at her passing. Um, is it very different to perform something like Puck on radio than it is on a stage? Well, Shakespeare works very well on radio. Uh, you, he wrote without any scenery or any, any real props as such. Um, and, and you have just the words, and the, the words are so magical and so, so descriptive. Uh, so Shakespeare always seems to work extremely well on radio. Mm. Uh, and I, I always enjoyed doing Shakespeare on radio. Um, certainly that production was lovely. Willie Stiles uh, directed it and used uh, Mendelssohn's wonderful music. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was a splendid, splendid experience. One of the radio type experiences, and I'll come to you now in this one, Stella McCusker, one of the, the radio type experiences that we get in this production is the holding of the microphones and the reciting of the sonnets. Um, where did the, at what point did Gavin say, there will be sonnets in this, you'll be reciting them into a microphone, and how, and how did you go about choosing those? Uh, they were 
chosen. Yep, by here you have used used away. They were chosen uh, by uh, by Gavin, mm. and when I when I got the script, I I, I was reading through. For, uh, first of all, I have to say to you, when my agent phoned me to say. There's good news. The Abbey Theatre ha- wants you to be in Midsummer Night's Dream, and I said, "Brilliant!" He said, "The bad news is you're playing a fairy." So <laughs> I was scraping through to see how many lines I had, as usual, and all that sort of thing, and come across this. And I said to my partner, "These are sonnets." Now I don't know why or where or how he decided to put them in. I think they work extremely well, and of course you love reciting or saying them, but they kind of feel, they fit in extremely well, I think, with the flow of the piece. Yeah, Amanda Peace, I think, in her essay in the programme talks about that Shakespeare was writing many of the sonnets around the same time as A Midsummer Night's Dream, so possibly... Yeah, that's right. So, could have been in it in, at some stage in his one of his drafts. Maybe. And and the fact that you use a microphone for the as is, as is used in all the sonnets mm. on stage, and obviously all of you are well capable of putting your voice out to the back of that auditorium mm. if you want. You do it all through the evening in other parts. The use of the microphone in the reciting of the, of the sonnets does that change something about how you deliver it? Yes, it it, it does. I, I actually quite like doing it through the microphone because you have this kind of thing with the microphone, you know, and your voice. You're not kind of throwing it out there. It's a little thing you have with so, and, uh, an intimacy with, with the microphone. Would you mind then if I asked you just as a little experiment uh, to do two lines of the opening two lines of the sonnet that you recite with the microphone and then to do what you would have to do if you were going to send that sonnet down to the back without the microphone? Uh, with the microphone first? Yeah. Um, when I do count the clock, that tells the time and see the brave day sunk in hideous night when I behold the violet past prime and sable curls all silvered o'er with white Yeah, so that's the first quatrain, yeah nice to do that rather than two lines, so without the mic <laughs> When I do count the clock that tells the time I would need to do probably lift my voice yeah. And in fact, is there even a, a, a temptation to stand? But I would, in the beginning I would, but I would then modify it to suit. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, forgetting, you see? I thought I was so smart there. But yes, there is a certain lifting. Uh, that would be necessary. But I think I do prefer uh, now to do it on the microphone. Mm. I, I think I do. Going on then to, to John Olihan. Now, John... You and I have an experience with this play in a previous life as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, you have forgotten I'm so hurt. <laughs> uh, John and I played in a production of Midsummer Night's Dream in the gate in, I don't know what, as long know. ago is it now? It's 15 yeah. years ago? Yeah. In which I played Demetrius and in which you played... The line. Exactly um, the same the part. Drama, yeah. Now, when you, when you actually come to playing the part the second time, what did you remember of our, the previous production? What do you, you just throw that away and start again? How did it go? I, it was a completely different character altogether. He was a, a biker, and he had a ponytail, and he, was, he laughed at the... He was a cynic. He, he laughed at all the, um, the goings-ons of the mechanicals and rehearsing a play and everything. 
and uh, when he came to do the play, he was palatic drunk. <laughs> he was out of his mind. <laughs> so he fell off the stage and fell around the play. It was just completely different. And then in, in this particular one, and this is a question that will come to for, to for a few people, because a, a couple of you have this to deal with, Maura has this to deal with as well. The character that you are in the forest, if you like, you know, when you're out rehearsing the play as one of the rude mechanicals, yeah. is that the same guy who is in the care home, if you like, during the day before he takes his medication to yeah. go to sleep at night? No, he's not in the care home. He's a decorator. He's the maintenance man. Right, so he's the maintenance man. Does he have any, he has no words as the maintenance man. He has, yeah. He, he um, he's asks them to give them the part because he's slow of study. So when he's in, when you think of him as in the care home, he is the maintenance yeah. man. And when he goes in, then they're out in the forest or outside. Where I suppose they're not in the forest in this case. Where are they? They are in the in the. Well, they're dreaming, I suppose, within the context of the room. Because it struck me that, um, just if you hand it back to, to Maura there, because she has something, uh, you, you have a similar type of situation. The woman who is in the care home, how, where do you think of her in relation to your fairy character? Well, it's just a little dream. She's off on a little trip, buzzing around, yes, causing no harm. <laughs> but they are essentially, in your mind, the exact same person. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right, let's let's go to to. Oh, actually, before I go off, John Olihan there. Um, if, if you also never mind the Midsummer Night's Dream that was in the gate, where you played exactly the same role. You were you also in the nineteen seventy nine production? Yeah, yeah. I played um, poker in it. And what are your memories of that production? I I remember getting ready for it. Which I, I lost about three stone weight. I got myself down to about ten stone. <laughs> And I used to run around uh, down the uh, North Circle Road, up Dorset Street, and up around by the Matter Hospital every single morning. And I just lost loads of weight. <laughs> that, that was at a very, very physical production. Yeah, it was really, I was running all over the place. And on the opening night, I remember, they polished the floor. And I just slid all over the place. And of course, brought the house down, but it wasn't intentional. <laughs> If you would hand the microphone then, John, on to, on to Gina Moxie, who's yeah, beside sure. you, who, who plays Helen in this production. How much did you, first of all, again, I don't want to be ungentlemanly in the same way as when I asked uh, Anya this question. Were you surprised to be asked to play the part of Helena, one of the young lovers, Gina? I was because uh, I wasn't sure whether age-wise I was appropriate, because I'm a small bit younger, but not massively. Um, and I don't you really have a huge amount of experience at Shakespeare either, so I kind of felt a little daunted by it, to be honest. And what was the most daunting aspect of it? Was it that age aspect, or was it the Shakespeare aspect? At the age is grand. Like, there are days you wake up and you feel very old, like it's fine. <laughs> and also because uh, I think the... The way we rehearsed, like initially, I was quite conscious of the age element, but uh, it it kind of simplified itself as we went on. And when you say sorry, just to interrupt, when you say you were conscious of the age element, do you mean the difference of in, in age between yourself and no, Anya, no, or just the difference um, between you and Helena? Rather, the the reason why I might be in this home, uh, trying to be very kind of practical about like do I have Alzheimer's premature Alzheimer's what's the reason mm. for me being here and playing a lot with that kind of 
like innocent forgetfulness and things like that. And uh, I think it was just too bloody complicated, really. That like I could see Gavin kind of letting me at it for a while, and then just said, "Nah, you're just walk slower. You're old. Walk faster. You're young." Like. Don't make it any more complicated than that. So you didn't get into a big motivation about why am oh, I in sure, a car I had tons of motivation myself, but I didn't <laughs> tell him about it. <laughs> and would you tell us, or is it too simple? Ah, no, it's grand. <laughs> what you see is what you get. <laughs> David Pierce sitting beside you. Oh, yes, Sean. Hi, David. How are you? Um, you're another one of the, the traditional doubles, the AJS... Nick Bottom, I think, is that a traditional double? Is that, is that a prediction? Uh, or Peter Quinn, sorry, I beg your pardon. Uh, Nick uh, Quinn, yeah, I'm yeah. not sure is that a traditional double. I mean, I know certainly Midsummer Night's Dream, they're normally smaller casts that I've seen. I don't, you know, six or seven people do it or eight people do it. So it's unusual, I think, to see so many people in this production doing this show, you know. It, it was one thing that struck me because the production that um, John and I were in had a big cast in it, Did it really? Yeah. 20 something and, and I do remember nights that went on a little longer perhaps than they should have gone on. Okay. Is that happening with this cast, David? You can tell me the truth. Old Myron Negroni immediately nodding no. <laughs> but yeah. the Ajayas the, the, the character obviously in the original, in the a script, he is the father of Hermia, yeah. Hermia, rather than the son of Hermia. Yeah, so yeah. how much adjustment had to be done in the script? Was it simply a changing daughter to yeah. mother yeah. to daughter? And yeah, it's really just the, 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 the wording of my mother, Hermia, my daughter, Hermia. That was the difference, you know. Um, but um, yeah, that was it. As far as I know, I think that was it, pretty much. And when you walk out the door as a GS, you know, towards the end of Act, was the end, very end of Act One, I presume, yeah. and you walk straight in the door. Then two minutes later, isn't as it? As Quince, yeah. As Quince. Uh, any any big shift in the head, or just no? I go on now and say Peter Quince's lines. Well, um, <laughs> there probably should be a big shift in the head. <laughs> um, but um, Gavin, Gavin's idea was that they might be the same character. Gavin's idea was that uh, Aegeus, there, there is a point where Aegeus has handed a guitar Yeah. Uh, at that point when he exits. And then uh, the first time we see Quince, he has a guitar. So I think he wanted not to be too, of, or too, too specific, but to have an idea that, that uh, uh, Aegeus was visiting the home. And he's almost the same. It's, it's like a dream state for everything. Everything's topsy-turvy. Dreamy, naughty, dreamy, reality, dream, that type of thing. So it was an idea, a sense that could he be a visitor, same character. He is then encouraged to be the leader of this, this troop of actors, you know. So it was that sort of sense. Again, it was a topsy-turvy type sense. But, um, and, and for me, they were different characters. But for me, uh, just to go along, but not to change it too much, not to make too oh. much of a, a character change for that reason. I suppose, Shadan, you have the same um, issue with that you're an orderly for part of the, for the nursing home part of it, but then in the dream sequence, you become this Indian boy who's mentioned all through the, so much through the script. I don't think I've ever seen it physicalized before. Interestingly, the 1979 version had an Indian boy played by John Ignatius Montague, and I'd love to know what. <laughs> Where is John Ignatius Montague now? Helen Montagues. 
Oh yes, Alina Montague who would be involved as well. Might be one of those. Is he here? All right, yeah, yeah. And that um, little dance sequence that you did towards the end, Shanann, was that from a particular tradition or was that just something Absolutely of your not. own? No, no, the truth about the dance is um, when we were doing the song, we just had a big trough of uh, percussion instruments and each one of the fairies grabbed something and there were these Morris Bell strap things. I strapped them on my feet and I was just hobbling away at the back. And much to my horror, then Gavin rearranged the whole thing and lit the downstage and terrifying, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. yeah, so I, I would guess all of you know now, if you're in a room with Gavin Quinn, don't tell him anything about Francis Flute. Don't suggest anything about taking, doing impersonations or you'll end up like Father Lamb. Don't pick up a prop or you'll end up like Shadan Felfelli. Um, I, just, I, I will wrap up shortly because I, I can't believe that, in fact, we've already been speaking for nearly 25 minutes. Has anybody got a question from the audience? And if anybody has, we'll, we'll take that briefly and then uh, I'll wrap it up. Does anybody have anything to, to ask at that point there? Very quick. Yes, a gentleman just here. Presentation at the uh, very conclusion of the pl play was uh, pretty convincing. Did you pull that out of your previous experience uh, in drama as a beginner? This is the idea that he can never remember the words and he's really nervous. <laughs> it was brilliant. Thank you. Um, I, I do have a fear in my own head in reality as an actor. I remember once, one time years ago when I was doing amateur theatre, I, um, I didn't arrive on stage. And that was frightening for the other actors and me because I wasn't there and whatever. And also remember, as an amateur actor, I used to forget my lines all the time. That was frightening. So I swore I'd always remember my lines. And actually, um, <clears throat> when I'm doing the production, I normally have the script backstage and I'm normally looking at it before I go on. So that's what I do just before I go on. I'm, all, I, I'm constantly reading the script. So it is a fear of mine not to know lines and whatever. But no, that was me just um, maybe living out a nightmare. <laughs> really thank you very much thank you do you know what I'll ask you if you wouldn't mind how we might finish up because I can't come the whole way across and ask you all a question again I would be here to half past 11 and all our cars would be locked in or we'll miss the last bus could we finish by um, humming that little song in the chairs would that be acceptable I'll do the I'll do the yeah well who can start it off for us yeah To remember when I grow too old to dream, your love will live in my heart. Well, clearly, none of so oh. gives me my sweet and soul has part. When I grow too old to dream, your love will live in my heart. None of these people are ever going to be too old to dream. The cast of Midsummer Night's Dream, thank you very much. Thank you so much, folks, for that. Uh, and thank you to all of you for your, for your time after that performance. It's 10 to 11, go home to your beds.